This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 7th of July 2021. And today is the day that uh, Gladys Berejiklian, the New South Wales Premier, indicated yesterday that today was the day she was hoping to be able to provide some insights into whether the lockdown is going to lift in Sydney on time or whether it's going to need to be extended. Norman, we keep hearing relatively big case numbers coming out of Sydney every day, well, depending on what your definition of big is, but yesterday it was 18. Uh, But the the number that is getting a lot of interest now is the number of people who weren't in isolation during their infectious period. There still seems to be people who are out and about in their infectious period when they're diagnosed with the virus. So what does that tell us about whether or not lockdown is going to be able to be lifted yet? Well, Juliet O'Brien, who's been following the statistics here, yet another voluntary data analyst in this in this pandemic, and the, the, the voluntary data analysts have been amazing. And Juliet's been following this for the, since the beginning of the pandemic, and she's been tracking this statistic. And on just to give you a sense, June twenty ninth, her estimate is that thirty seven percent of cases turning up positive were thirty seven percent rising to 81% of cases in isolation on July 4th. Uh, This is full isolation. Dropping on July 6th to 61% in full isolation. So there's still a lot of people not in isolation, potentially, or a significant percentage, I should say, who um, have been out, who've been out and about, and that's what gives one cause for concern in terms of where we go from here, because each one of those persons who's been out and about have got exposure sites, and those exposure sites create more contacts and more potential mysteries. So it's a worry that it's not fully pinned down at this point. And it's not just that, though, is it? It's also the fact that if those people weren't in isolation, that means that they hadn't been detected as contacts, so perhaps they've caught it from somewhere that hasn't been uh, identified so far. That's right. You, it's easy to get lost in all of this, um, but you're absolutely right to point that out, Tegan, which is that not only are you worried about the, the, the circle around that person and who they may have spread it to or sites that they have been, have been in which have been high-risk sites... That's very important. You've actually got to backtrack to find out where they caught it from and and what the chain of transmission was there. And is it a broken chain of transmission where they just don't know what's happened or haven't been able to pin it down? And if there's too much of that going on, they really won't be able to lift things on to any extent on Friday. But who knows? Um, It may be a lot better by later on today and they might be able to say, well, we'll partially lift it. It doesn't have to be zero, as we've said many times on Coronacast. It just has to be pinned down. With all the focus on case numbers, maybe sometimes we lose sight of the other really important number, which is, of course, the number of people who catch COVID who get the severe end of the spectrum. And there are people in Australia in intensive care units today with COVID. Yeah, People are getting anxious about the clotting risk. So the clotting risk of the, of of the, the vaccine... Of the vaccine the clotting risk of the vaccine is maybe one, depending on what age you are, maybe one between one in 30,000 and one in 50 or 60,000 doses. You now have six people in ICU, two on ventilators, aged 50 years and above. So that's out of 330 locally acquired cases. So that's a very high percentage. So that's, what's that, one in 50, a little bit more than one in 50? people who are in un, very, very unwell 
you don't get into an intensive care if you're not unwell and two of them are being ventilated. So that's how serious this is. And that is many orders of magnitude more likely than the clotting syndrome. So it just puts our reservations of Astra, about Astra, into perspective. This is a serious illness. Let's not forget it. We don't know, of course, whether these people were vaccinated or not, and that's not really the point. The point is just really a reminder of just how bad it can get, especially for people in those older age groups. If you are eligible for a vaccine, book it today. And just to remind you of the data from Singapore, which we spoke about yesterday, nobody in Singapore, out of several hundred cases who were fully vaccinated, were admitted to hospital. And people, there were people who were partially Admit, who were partially immunised, who were admitted to hospital. And remember, the Astra, after the first dose of the Astra, you are not very well covered at all, but you are well covered after the second dose. So get that second dose in. So, Tegan, there's also more news about new variants, a Lambda variant. Yeah, right. Just as we were getting our head around the Delta variant of the virus, it's gone and mutated again. And so, of course, we know that whenever the virus can replicate, it has an opportunity to mutate. And because it's having so many, many, many opportunities to replicate because of the scale of infection globally, that mutation rate is also quite high. And so the World Health Organization has named a new variant that was detected in Brazil, Lambda, which is another letter in the Greek alphabet. I'm concerned that we're going to run out of letters. This one was previously known as C37. Now it's got the cute title Lambda. And it's not actually listed as a variant of concern by the World Health Organization yet. It's a variant of interest. And similarly, in the UK, they're calling it a variant under investigation. But there is a bit more information coming out about it. Most of it is in non-peer-reviewed studies yet, so it's a little bit early. But basically what we're seeing is there's there's concerns that not only is it more infectious, uh, sort of more easy to transmit, it might also escape the immunity that we're getting from our vaccine. So uh, that's a concern. And of course, the more you let these variants spread, the more opportunities they have to adapt to the, um, the, the tools that we're using to fight against them. So uh, still a lot to be remains to be seen with Lambda, but that's um, there is actually a case in Australia at the moment of this variant. Presumably hotel quarantine. Here's hoping. The, the key thing here to remember is that um, we're going to see new variants right through the rest of this year and into next year. And for the, these variants to survive, they're going to be fitter than the variants that came before. So, you know, what we're hoping is that the vaccine escape is not that significant, at least with severe disease, but it really is an imperative to get immunised. So there's very little virus circulating in Australia. And I saw Brendan Crabb, who we've mentioned on this on Coronacast before from the Burnett Institute yesterday, mentioning that global vaccination, high levels of global vaccination are so important to stop these variants from emerging and becoming fitter. So we've got to vaccinate our, our own backyard. That's obviously our priority, but we've also got to be part of the global vaccination effort as well. Let's go to some questions. Yeah, well, I've actually got a question. What's well, a comment from Dale, who is an immunologist. So uh, hello. Welcome, expert. I'm getting nervous now. Dale has a couple of comments about our podcast episode uh, yesterday that might be helpful. Norman, you mentioned that T cells carry immune memory and Dale says that's true, but so so do B cells. And so we can have a more rapid production of antibodies as well as T cell immunity when we are um, presented with with a pathogen. Do you want me just to explain that just before you go into the rest of of Dale's comments? So T cells carry um, a memory that really allows the cells of the immune system to attack viruses coming in, and B cells are the cells that produce the antibodies. 
And um, so uh, and there, there I now go back to Dale, who's the immunologist. Who's the actual expert in the room. Uh, Dale also was commenting upon the statement that you made that the new vaccines seem to provide deeper immunity and maybe it's about how they're made. And Dale says it could be because the vaccines are only showing you the spike protein and are avoiding the other parts of the virus that might inhibit immunity. I don't know how that works, but it's really interesting to uh, to hear that. Yeah, so just imagine it like an arrow going straight into the immune system rather than stuff around it which might inhibit the immune response from coming. Thank you, Dale. We always appreciate that sort of clarification or even showing us where we've been wrong. That's right. And if you're an expert with some stuff to say, of course, you can always message us at abc.net.au slash coronacast. Uh, Kevin has written in saying, Kevin has an 11-year-old child who presumably is turning 12 next year because that's how ages tend to go and is wondering uh, if we're hearing that maybe next year kids age 12 and up are going to be eligible for vaccines. Kevin wants to know what we know about uh, safety of vaccines in kids. Well, we're only going to achieve herd immunity if we immunise kids who are 12 years and above. What we know with the Pfizer vaccine is that it is safe. It's been approved for use uh, internationally and the application is in before the Therapeutic Goods Administration here. We probably don't have the supply yet to immunise down to that age group, but we will eventually, and we will eventually be immunising down to 12 years old. The, 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 the one side effect of the mRNA vaccines like Pfizer and Moderna, which is emerging, is inflammation of the heart muscle and inflammation of the surrounds of the heart in young men, more than young women, and it can happen in the teen years too. It's rare and people get better from it, but that is the one side effect that seems to be emerging. But apart from that, it does seem to be very safe. And uh, less of a uh, question and more of a comment from James, who uh, is punning on our time travel episodes from, from yesterday. Norman, he says, Dr. Swan, I'm glad you got your leg out of the time machine in time. Otherwise, you could have gotten deep time thrombosis. Uh, thank you, James. <laughs> well, speaking of time, Norman, that's all we've got time for today on Coronacast, but we'll catch you tomorrow. We will indeed. See you then. 